Howdy, strangers. Al Mirabella here, the host of High Strangeness, a podcast about beliefs and the people who believe them. Today is July the 5th. It's probably not July the 5th when you listen to this, unless you listen right when it comes out, in which case, hey, congratulations. You really make me feel good about myself. Uh, But I also don't check the numbers. I'm not a numbers guy. It's not what this show is about. You know what this show is about? This show is about you. Uh, Right now, I am in South Georgia at my brother's house. Spent some time with the fam. Got to ride off in a cool go-kart. Check out my Insta page. You can see a pic of that. You know, I had to spend a good period of my time today sitting here and editing my show. As much as I love the show, you know, I kind of wish I could have spent that time sitting around hanging out with my family. But then I remember that I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to do this show. And I'm also, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to sit around and have some people that I miss talking to when I got to edit it. If you listened last week, you know that I had a call to action where I asked you to send in some, some stuff that you were thankful for in this weird, shitty period of time that the whole planet is going through right now. I got one here from friend of the show, Drew Kennedy. I want to read it. This is to the email. This is very wholesome. He says, I would be lost without my kids. They are the grand grounding force in my universe. Also sunshine and toads. If you know Drew, that is very on-brand for Drew. He basically likes reptiles and his family and also like taking drugs just a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. Legalize it. You know, you know what we say on the show? Legalize it. That's the show motto. High strangeness. Legalize it. Anyway, keep, keep them coming. The email is highstrangecast at gmail.com. I need to know the things that are getting you through this time so that they can help me get through this time. All right, stay safe. The, oh, the guest on the show, Brandon Reedy from Social Discasting. One of my favorite podcasts. Go listen to it. We'll talk about it some at the end, but, uh, but you will enjoy it. And that show starts right after my theme song starts, which is like, hold on, give it a sec. All right, my theme song starts right there. The truth does not require your belief. The truth is real. A couple of years ago, this rhythm game came out in Japan called Hatsune Miku Project Diva. And Project Diva is sort of like Dance Dance Revolution, but you play it with a controller. And uh, you watch her music videos in the background, and all of the songs are these songs that people have made of Hatsune Miku. But I had never played it because I it was originally only available on like arcade units in Japan. And then it became available in like on the PlayStation Vita, and I never had a PlayStation Vita, but they just released it for the Switch as Hatsune Miku Project Diva Mega Mix. And I was like, this was like my my trial. Like, am I a real fan of Hatsune Miku? Do I know any of these songs? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought, I thought maybe I was a fake fan. And it has 109 songs on it. And I have not played all of them, but I have known every single song that I've listened to so far. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, you passed like I can the test. actually listen to these. Yeah, I, I am a, I'm a real fan. Yeah, I, I, it's very like you know, it's I know a, a little bit about a lot, and that's definitely one where I knew very little. But that's I don't know. I got to read up on that because that's very interesting to me. What kind of music do you listen to, Brandon? What are you into? Uh, I'm all over the place, to be honest. I mean, it is it, kind of probably cliche of an answer as that is, 
Um, I mean, let me I get my phone out, but I can, uh, I can come up with stuff in, in between time. I know, like, growing up, I kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like a cliched um, bit of music, but what I grew up listening to, like, in the house, like, my dad listened to and listens to, uh, like, Beatles, Pink Floyd, ELO, uh, the Eagles, of course, because it's, like, illegal not to, uh, apparently. Uh, like, Elton John, Billy Joel, that type of stuff. Like, that's, I don't know. It's very oh, much. Is your dad? He is, let me do the math. He's 73. See, my dad is 72, but my dad has old people music taste, even for his age. Like, okay. my dad basically listens exclusively to, like, Cole Williams Sr., <laughs> okay. Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, like, Merle Haggard. Like, that's a lot of what I grew up listening to. And when I started playing music and started being in bands and stuff, like, that was the music that, like, influenced me a lot. Like, I was, oh, I became one of those people. Um, you know, I started playing, like, folk guitar, and that folk guitar turned into listening to, like, folk punk, and that's how I, like, started my first folk punk band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, that... I still really appreciate that because there's a huge community where I live based around that genre. But I think that overall, like when I try and be like, oh, well, he's in my car and we're going to listen to Elton John. I I put on Elton John and he knows Elton John. He's like, I don't care for this. (laughs) Too new. Too new. That's interesting. Yeah. No, my yeah. My dad, I guess, was like in that regard, very into populist fare. Yeah. No, he that's just what he was into. So I grew up listening to that like, um. So those, <clears throat> I guess, in that regard, like the th- things that are like not a wall, not not a wall of sound, so to speak, but just definitely layered sounds really just get me going. Like that's what I find fascinating. So like the ELOs of the world, gigantic for me. I love ELO. ELO is one of those bands that has really good live albums. Yes, I basically only listen to live ELO now. I know the studio versions, but ever since I discovered like. ELO live in Manchester or whatever. It's like, oh, this is the sort of versions of this song that I want to listen to. Their version of Roll Over Beethoven, so good. That, oh, I love that too. Um, even like Kui, uh, Kuriyama, Kuiyama, I forget the pronunciation. That's incredible. There are just, every song I love on some level. Have you heard the album from last year, actually, by the way? I may have listened. Is it a live album? No, it's a straight up studio, no, it's a album. studio album. It's good. I haven't listened to it yet. It's I'll good. Give it a shot. Yeah, it's worth it. I think. Um, I think it's great. I uh, I do love them. I listen to them a lot. But you know, I say all that, and then my favorite song of all time is "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay" by Otis Redding. That is a phenomenal song too. He's might see Otis Redding is in the realm of like my dad will absolutely listen to Otis Redding. Like he will listen to "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay." That, that's interesting. I mean, maybe, I guess maybe it's old enough. Like, even then, maybe I feel like, based on what you're, you said his tastes were, that that is maybe pushing it. Even he's like, okay, but nothing, nothing more edgy than that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm all over the place. It's kind of, I read something one time where they said that, like, and I don't know how much you can quantify this, but it was something like, when you're, th- when you become like 32 or 33 or at a certain point, you reach a point where you stop listening to mu- new music and you only go back and listen to the stuff you listened to either growing up or, you know, more of like in the best years of your life type thing. Mm-hmm. And I find it really interesting. And I've, I don't know the, the, the veracity of the claim, but I've definitely gone against that and continued, certainly not as much as I used to looking for new music because I just have shit to do now. 
but I definitely have fought against that for sure. Right before we came on the call, I was using the bathroom and I took a little bit extra time because I found a BuzzFeed article where it wanted me to pick a pop song from the last 20 years for every year. And I went back and like the last couple of years, I was like, oh, these songs are really good. And I went back to songs that I mean, I used to think were really good and I still enjoy listening to from like, I'm going to say that it, around 2011 is when music started like shifting into being like popular music was very good music. Like the current music is good. Like it's very artistically satisfying. A lot of it's very unique. It's very well produced. It's generally incredibly well thought out. Whereas like in like 2007, you had Crank That Soldier Boy, which is a great song. And I love Crank That Soldier Boy. Mm-hmm. And I will crank that Superman. But if you released Crank That Soldier Boy today, mm-hmm. it would it would not even be a blip on anybody's radar because even like a lot of contemporary like dance hip hop music is still like really good, really involved, really well produced. I mean, I don't really care for Drake as a person, but Drake releases some really good songs. Like recently, you know, I mean, when I looked at that list, it was like, I don't I think it was the year before last was like God's Plan by Drake. Yeah. And God's Plan by Drake is a very good song. It's like ties it together very well, has a very unique like production quality and value. You know it as soon as it comes on. It's like, yeah, that's a great song. And then there's like, you know, the most recent Childish Gambino stuff is just really, really good. And Childish Gambino was releasing music in 2007 and 2009. It was not good. It was not good music, at least comparatively to to what he does now. You know, I read, uh, I think it was a New Yorker profile with him. And I do think on a certain level, he was just fucking with the guy interviewing him, it felt like. Mm -hmm. Which I could see, but then again, I could also not see it. Like, he's, there's an enigmatic quality about him for sure. Or, Or maybe it's not at all, and we just think there is because... Who knows? Maybe we're mythologizing him in real time. But he uh, he did talk about how basically he thinks his superpower is that he learns a thing and then gets really good at it. But but like I think it's not obviously, but I think it's more that he learns it very quickly, but that he's kind of bad at it initially. And that trajectory, I mean, at least that seems I'm not saying his music was bad, but. It is fascinating to look at the totality of where it where it started to where it is now. I think music now is interesting for that very reason that like I the music that I released a couple of years ago is still always going to be out there. Whereas like we don't get to hear what Bon Jovi sounded like when Bon Jovi sucked. We only get to hear what Bon Jovi sounded like once he was like had a studio record deal. Yeah, you know, it. I do think about too, like, I don't know, I think about this a lot, but just the differences in like generations, you know, because people... Every generation is just like, ours is the best. Like, ours is the best, yeah. And first of all, I'm like, well, it's literally the only one you can possibly have. So, like, oh, no shit, the one you lived in that you're actively romanticizing? Oh, no shit, you think it's the best one. Yeah, 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 that's me being pedantic, but it still bothers me. It annoys me. I I think it's so weird when people romanticize the oldie times, too, because it's like, you know it would have sucked to be back there. You get there, you... You have a lot of fun at a sock hop one day in the 1950s. And then the next day you realize that you can't look at Twitter all the time. And then the day after that, you witness a hate crime. And it's like, okay, maybe I liked 2020, even though we have Kawoo Woo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, 
what I think about is that I think that like I think about what's unique in our lifetime and outside of like specific events I mean there's really nothing not really you know like we talk about you know the internet is a game changer which it absolutely is and that it's speeding everything up literally figuratively that technology if you look at Moore's laws like computer capacity is increasing doubling every you know what is it one and a half years or is it ten and a half years I forget but um, that's a massive difference, but still. But anyway, the point is that things are getting bigger, faster, faster than ever, you know, and only with more rapidity. But, I mean, new technology is nothing new to any generation. I mean, it's it, it was like the printing press uh, begat newspapers, begat books, and everything went from there, and knowledge went from being exclusively... The, under the ownership and tutelage of the rich to being kind of more out there for everyone and kind of evening that playing field. And then you had radio and then you had television and then, you know, everything just happens. And I think the worst thing you can do generation to generation is to think you're unique. <laughs> as, as like not fun a thought as that is, I would venture to guess you're going to be right far, far more often than not by thinking that way than the other way. Yeah, well, I think specifically with regards to the internet, the internet is as revolutionary probably as the printing press was in the same way that like the telephone was just as revolutionary as that 100 years beforehand. Sure. But I think about how, you know, you watch you watch speculative fiction from like the 1950s and you used to have like Star Trek and the Jetsons and any sort of like Marvin the Martian like, oh, this is what the future is going to be like. Mm -hmm. But they didn't really have any gauge to like, well, what use is any of that stuff that they have then? Like, you know, you think about like a flying car or like getting transported in a tube and you're like, you know, realistically, this is not even that useful of a feature. Like <laughs> it was probably better the way we did it before. I think that I, and I could totally be wrong about this. I feel like we have a better grasp on what the future is going to be like now because we see the rate that things are speeding up mm -hmm. because like before we could say like well what have been the trends of the last hundred years like that much progress will be made in a hundred years and we see what a hundred years worth of change is and we underestimate that we're like a hundred years oh yeah in a hundred years we'll have flying cars or whatever mm -hmm. in the 1950s whereas now I think that we have rapidly increased our ability to actually manifest new ideas and new things. So what we used to think was actually a hundred years of progress is probably a lot closer to a hundred years of progress is going to look like now. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe in a hundred years from now, it'll go back to being like flying cars where we're like, uh, because we'll, we'll be used to how quick things are, are moving forward. And once again, I'm totally dating this. I could be totally wrong, but like, even like speculative fiction now, I think is so much more grounded in the reality of what could happen. And I think that probably partly because of the internet, you look at the future and you're like, oh, that is, um, that is very scary. It's just scary because it's exactly like it is now, which has all the same bad stuff. The bad stuff is not going away. We're just going to accept it a little more because we'll be able to get tacos for cheaper and our phone will be built into our hand or something. Yeah, it's just not, for it to not be a revolutionary difference, 
is it's not sexy. People want something different. And also it's like weirdly optimistic to think that because then it's, you know, the ego of like human achievement and we figured this out and this is amazing. But then you think about it for two seconds about the idea of a flying car and it's just like half the fucking people can't drive. So why do we want them to be pilots? So, you know, <laughs> so it's like, mm, that's a, it's a, again, that's an actively romanticized thought. But then again, it's something that we romanticize because like we heard about it as children. So it's some kind of like weird contradictory nostalgia of where it's nostalgia about the perception of a cartoon future. So it's like, mm, you know, I, I get where it comes from, but like we, we need to just like step outside yourselves for two seconds here and think about that because that's absurd. And it would be a thing where, yeah, they work all this time and don't use the resources for something of actual necessity and import. And somebody dies within three seconds and they're like, well, that was a bad idea. And then we move on. I mean, shit, we're having a hard enough time seemingly with self-driving cars. A thing that, again, I'm not so, that seems truly impossible to implement in the proper way without it being an absolute clusterfuck, in my opinion. Yeah, I think when I think about, I think we'll have a hard time putting uh, self-driving cars out there, but I don't necessarily think that it has anything to do with the safety of self-driving cars. I think that companies like insurance companies are just not going to let us have self-driving cars. You know, I don't think that, I think that there are just too many people lobbying against that because it would be too much of a shakeup to the way that we do things right now. Uh, because even if it is statistically safer, right? Yeah. You have, it takes the it takes the responsibility out of your hands and puts it in the hands of the car, which the car might be safer, but people love to point fingers. And if one tenth of the time, if there are one tenth as many accidents on the road, that one accident is going to be so much more of a shit show for the company who was insuring that car. Oh yeah. hundred you know, percent. Like, well, your car did it. Your car did it. You're like, yeah, but what about the other nine accidents that it saved you from getting to you're like, yeah, but your car did this one. Yeah. I think there are thousands of reasons why it won't happen to your point of uh, people with literal invested interests in it not happening. Uh, absolutely. But I also think it just can't work because the very nature of what it is that it's a, that it's computers approximating human behavior to drive quote unquote safely those will never work properly unless every car is self-driving. That's just, and I'm not even saying it's going to be some like catastrophe if that's the case. And it hasn't been to a relative degree, you know, so far, um, especially considering, you know, we're going through a fucking pandemic and then it's like, Oh, what's a self-driving car at that point? It, it, like that's, there are far worse things happening, but they're, they're made to function to drive properly. And people don't do that. So there's that's an inherent flaw to me. I think that, you know, people say like, oh, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, I think that once we have if we create a necessity for self-driving cars, that will be when we have the reality of self-driving cars. And I don't think we can look out into the future and see what that necessity is. I think it could definitely come. It's like we probably will have all electric vehicles at some point, but that will be out of the necessity of like the skyrocketing cost of fossil fuels. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or once we can figure out how to make electricity for much cheaper than we can via battery, that's when people will start using electric cars. And now it's so funny because like now the people who have electric cars, I think like five, even five years ago, 
I looked at the idea of an electric car. I'm like, it's really going to be the good people with the electric uh-huh. cars. It's going to be the real nice, virtuous people are going to be driving electric cars. And the people who drive electric cars are assholes. They're just like real pieces of shit. It's like virtuous Whenever I was working on shit too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just like, it, it's like people that it's, it's a, you know, it's like anything else. It's tribe. It's like a form of tribalism, you know, that there are people that now this is their identity and it was inevitable on some level, you know, but it's just funny that it's like, it happened immediately. And quite frankly, though, what's funny to me is that there are, I would imagine at least kind of, there are some people that are more sheepish about being a Tesla owner now more than they ever have been, uh, thanks to their godhead being, uh, let's say, problematic. Mm-hmm. He is a fucking problem, and he's dangerous. He and he's dangerous. Problem. And he's dangerous. And that's that, so funny how cavalier he is about it, right? Like he, you would think that if, like, if the owner of the Ford Motor Company acted the way Elon Musk did yeah. does, you'd be like. Oh, well, of course he acts like that because he's the owner of the Ford Motor Company. But when you're the electric car guy who made electric cars for everybody, and this guy's just a constant dick, you're like, shouldn't you be the one who's not a dick? But I think that that just speaks right there to like, yeah. this like, we have this false idea that there's a right side and a wrong side to all of this, when in reality, there's just like, oh, some people are bad. Yeah. And they're not bad because of their political beliefs, and they're not bad because they drive big trucks. They're just like that. You know, they're just going to behave like, I don't even want to say bad. That's not even a word. Some people just have the quality of being an asshole. And I prefer to not hang out with people who are assholes. And I don't really like to entertain their their thoughts. Do I think it would be cool to drive a Tesla? Yes. I think it would be a neat vehicle. I think they look really cool. I've been inside of one. I think they're badass. Do I think that even if I had the money to buy a Tesla right now, would I buy it? No, I would probably go buy a competing electric vehicle and I would Hump, hump, hump that I don't have a Tesla, but I would also be like, well, I can't have a Tesla. The guy fucked up. Yeah. He fucked up having a Tesla. Well, but also, though, it's truly unpredictable what he's going to do. And I I would say that I am at, at least 51% of the mind that Tesla won't exist in three years. That type of thing. Because he could blow this shit up. Like, the the, the reason he's, he's so successful, out of many reasons, though, is just a arguably an overabundance of ego and that goes both ways and that could very well be his undoing because i think that when you get to the level he is and is saying the shit that he's saying now and facing no repercussions this is just a new norm for him so it's in theory it's only going to get worse like no anybody tells him not to even the sec saying not to he he acts directly in defiance of that so, and he like is proud of it. He doesn't yeah. even do it like a secret. He like goes on Twitter. He's like, I'm opening up my factory. What are you going to do? You're going to come arrest me? You know how much yeah. money I have? You know how I've lobbled? You know how I've lobbled? Yeah. No, you know how I've lobbied both political parties and no one's going to do anything to prosecute me because they know how much money I pump into their economy. Yeah, he's more brazen than ever. I mean, it's, it's blatant. I mean, meanwhile, you know, like uh, fucking Bezos, is just like laughing evilly as he's counting his near trillions of dollars because Musk is the relatively speaking lowly billionaire that's taking the bullets for him as he's the true evil. I mean, he's the the you know the Bond villain incarnate. 
that's yeah, a that's person who is strictly addicted to power like jeff bezos has no there is no end goal you have hit end game it's like you know when you play a video game and yeah. there's like the end game at the end he's done everything now he's like the man in black from westworld just being like well i guess i gotta kill everybody <laughs> because i've done all the stuff that the game has to do so now i'm gonna make my own game and my game is being a little evil he is truly evil like he um he's an underrated nominee for most evil person on the planet quite possibly he also in a way that elon musk does not jeff bezos really looks evil like he embodies the vision of evil you look at him and you're like that guy is maybe a little below the board (laughs) uh he at least with elon musk it's like okay well he's a douchey asshole but we know what to Mm -hmm. do with that and jeff bezos so Bezos or Bezos? Bezos? I think it's Bezos. Bezos that's what I was Bezos. wondering because I've said Bezos and then I've heard, I don't know, maybe it's a can-con situation, but he he's just a fucking walking trillionaire thumb who wears his little thermal vests. And <laughs> I mean, that's cool and uh, and all that, but he's, I'm, I mean, he's garbage. The thermal vest is such an iconic part of his yeah. his look too. Yeah. And it's like, it looks like there's nothing that is inherently evil about a thermal vest, but you look at him in it and he makes me not want to ever wear one. No, I, I mean- I don't care if it's cold outside. I know. No, it's it's not definitely doing any favors for me, but it, it also though weirdly, his uniform that he wears, because he wears the same shit basically, it's- it's a weird thing to wear. It's not like crazily unique to him, at least not individually, but collectively. You kind of like know what a, what his outfit looks like. But it also is just like weirdly sums him up in ways I can't like quantify or verbalize. But it's just like, yeah, there's something about this You know this what guy. it looks like? It looks like he is trying to look human. Like, Ooh, that's like a great how call. Hillary Clinton pulled that hot sauce out of her yes. uh, wallet one time. It's like, oh, you're a robot. You're a robot yeah, yeah. trying to pretend that you're like humans wear oh, yeah. vests. Ah, yes. It's part vests. of your sociopathic program. That's right. Uh, I forget. Kind of in the uh, the more like the Buttigieg school of approximating human emotion. That's right. <laughs> hey, here's my big question for you, okay? Yeah. Do you think that any of our like media figures when i say media figures i mean anyone that we talk about like like the way we're talking about these people Mm -hmm. do you think that any of them are robots and do you think that if you don't think any of them are robots do you think it's possible that any of them are robots uh now possible from a technological standpoint or the sheer uh, like as we said uh poor approximation of humanity or both, or is this dealer's choice? Like, I would be shocked if I found out that any human that I thought was a human is a robot. Yes. But also, it would make a lot of sense. Like, who do you think it would make sense to be like, oh, that guy is a robot when you find out? You're going to be like, well, that's crazy. I didn't know we could do that. But if somebody was going to be a robot, of course it's that guy. Um, You know, what's funny is I've made jokes about this, and it's not exactly an original joke. But the first person that came to mind was Ted Cruz. Um. Marco Rubio actually also just because it's like like he looked like he was at the time when he was running I think in 16 he looked like he was had was like kind of in a way not but in a way like built in a lab to run for that office and then it just felt like he was short-circuiting 
the entire time of like, oh, okay, well, this needs, this, it needs some, it needs to be patched, or they need to upgrade the software, or like it's just not ready yet, that type of thing. And but, yeah, wait till the 2024 election where we're going to get like, did you guys see Marco Rubio 2.0? Why does he have a 2.0 at the end exactly. of his name? And why is his chin so chiseled? Yeah. Well, what's funny is that the Buttigieg thing was like, he ran and, you know, very, very sociopathic and very much like lying constantly, even by the standards of, but like core things that, that kind of acted as like kingmakers for his presidential bona fides of, you know, like he was in the military, which is something for people, but he didn't do shit. And he didn't even go to, to boot camp. And he speaks five languages and then he can't even speak Spanish properly in short bursts. And, you know, all these little things. And then he's, then he stopped running and then he, then his hair started receding and all these things are just like, Oh, it's it, it, like stopped injecting his yeah. life serum. Yeah, exactly. You know, a part of me really did think of like, um, Oh yeah, well that robot didn't work, so we're just gonna. He's gotta. We can't just get rid of the robot. He's too high profile. So let's just do How that. Do you not win if you are a gay and a military veteran. You have covered every single market of people. Well, I guess what happens is you try too hard to then cover all the others, and then you also mention cavalierly with your husband right there and a camera on him that if you could, you would take a pill to not be gay anymore. That doesn't help him at all <laughs> and and the fact that like that was another thing i thought about too like his voice changed sometimes depending on where he was like sometimes he affected like an obama cadence and then when he went to texas uh, where by the way like a lot of people didn't show up at all and the ones that did were later found out to be you know having been paid to be in there like 50 bucks a person and he at certain points had like some kind of like southern look to his voice so it's like <laughs> He, he tried to be for everyone, which made him for no one. They're going to take a movie that was bad and possibly make it marginally less bad, but they're going to give $30 million that they could have went and made a just a new movie that wasn't a fucking superhero movie that probably would be a lot more artistically valid or something. They're just going to be like, yeah, we're just going to recut it. We're going to shoot some new VO. We're going to do whatever to try and put a Band-Aid on a giant flesh wound of a project. And it's going to come out, and it's just like Star Wars because it doesn't matter. People have decided right now, whatever you think the Snyder Cut is going to be, that's how you're going to feel about it. And chances are, by the way, it's going to be bad. There is Almost an certainly. absolute chance. And I'm, yeah, I'm being, I feel like I'm being very, very kind when I say that. Uh, but, you know, the funny thing is that within literally two or three days of that news coming out, there then came out of David Ayer, who did Suicide Squad's like, I mean, I'd like to, do, I'd like to do my cut. And then Paul Feig came out saying like, you know, there's a, there's a three hour, literally he said over three hour Ghostbusters cut that I want out my Ghostbusters remake. And all I have to say to that is, well, I have a lot to say about that, but I think, one, it's, we're never, <laughs> you know, we're never going to get somebody coming out and saying, like, I got a director's cut of a good movie. I got, I want to do this to a good movie. It's always going to be garbage-ass movies, which quite possibly failed miserably, and we didn't see those extended cuts, because they were just, those were just as bad. So, like, 
Yeah, we might as well try to make up for it with volume because you can statistically watch a movie less times or play it less times if it's three hours plus long. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you like the director's cut of Blade Runner more Which than you one? Like Blade Runner? There's, there's like the six of them. Okay, but there's like the definitive no VO cut. What is that one? I know what you're talking about. I've seen them. Uh, I, I just you know, and part of it is that I saw it when I was younger. I I just like the original. I guess in my mind, they're not dramatically different enough for it to be like that it stood out in my head even when you asked this no mm-hmm. i i do like the original a lot and i love the sequel i really do there are some extended cuts and director's cuts that add but it's they're like very few and far between i think the director's cut of apocalypse now the final cut which is the one that adds like 35 minutes of footage yeah. to an already long movie i think that's a really good cut of apocalypse now i think it's good because it it tells a lot more of the story of the characters that are in the movie than needed to be there before. But I also think, and I think that this is something that's underrated when it comes to a director's cut or an extended cut is a lot of stuff can change in those cuts. That is not the narrative story. Like some movies really do need a little bit of audio post-processing apocalypse. Now is one of those that like the audio in the apocalypse. Now final cut is so much better than the audio in the original because of just the technology we have for processing those old audio reels. And like it really added something to that movie and that movie, which already looked totally beautiful, sounded just as good as it looked for the first time ever. And like those are movies that need that cut. Give those people that money. Don't give fucking Justice League money to just go be more of nothing for for thirty million dollars. Well, no, I completely agree. And I think that something could be said, too, for fucking like circumstances things happen and it could have just been the wrong time making it you know whatever the case may be that that means like in any other time that movie would be what they wanted to be with the director's cut so like the director's cut thing can be a bit of a misnomer and for example you know you're talking about director's cuts can be like genuinely better than the original cuts i in my opinion we have an example last year of that and that is a movie that I, I honestly quite liked just as the theatrical cut, which was Dr. Sleep. But there is a director's cut that is 28 minutes longer and it makes the movie two and a half hours. Like it's a long, if not three, it's a long movie. But the thing is that that movie is, has its foot in two different worlds. And that is, it is reconciling both the shining, the movie and Dr. Sleep slash kind of the shining, the book. And it's doing that in one movie. So that 30 extra minutes does help. It does give you necessary like backstory and fleshes out the different sides of it. Uh, and so I think it absolutely, its existence, in my opinion, is absolutely justified, for example. But that is the exception and not the rule. I have not seen the director's cut that. I would like to. That movie was filmed in Atlanta, and I know a couple of people who worked on it. but. Yeah. I quite liked it. I like. I think it's worth your time. There's a very cool movie theater in Atlanta, and uh, the movie theater that they are in in the movie theater scene of Doctor Strange, the inside of it. I looked. I'm like, that's that's Plaza. I was like, is that Plaza? They show a shot of the outside of the building. I was like, that's it. They're yeah. in Plaza. <laughs> they were here. 
this is right. <laughs> but I will say that I did really enjoy Doctor Sleep. I was not what I expected going into it. Me neither. I'm a big fan of The Shining, the movie. And I know that people who are a fan of The Shining, the book, do not necessarily like The Shining, the movie. I think that's weird. That's we- It's so weird when people are like, the book is different. Than the- yes, it's different. This is as different as two mediums could possibly be. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Like, what I was you want me to just, what do you want to do? Like a, do you want to do an audio book? How about we just do an audio book and we'll draw some pictures over top of it. Like just let it be different. It's like, fine. We'll do a podcast. I've never heard of a podcast. What's a podcast. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well you may be a, an, a politician esque alien for all we know, or, or potentially a robot. Who's to say, but <laughs> you know, it, I, I, I see that. I don't know. It makes me just think, and I kind of going back to the Star Wars thing too, that like, I don't know, maybe just people are too precious with stuff. <laughs> it's like, it's fine. You know, I mean, all this pandemic shit truly, it's given me a lot of perspective of like what really matters. And, and I say that still as a massive film fan and, you know, when my limited uh, attention span allows it, I do try to watch something, although I'm still kind of watching it in shifts a little because I can only just take so much at one time. Can I give you a piece of advice to help you if that's a problem that you have for real? Sure. And this sounds crazy, but I, if you do it one time, you'll understand how like weirdly revolutionarily useful this is. While you're watching something, do a puzzle, like a physical, like a jigsaw puzzle. Why? Because it, it, because, it, because it your, your, your hand needs to be doing something because the, this is how the world works now. And you're going to be playing on your phone or something. It's hard to not do that. And if you don't do it, you're going to like have moments where you're like, I should check my phone. And even those little moments of distraction. But a puzzle is just an activity that your hands and a very small portion of your brain can do. You don't have to finish the puzzle. Just do the puzzle while you're watching TV. I have a counter to that then. Hear me. Because I don't have a puzzle. But I do have some unassembled lego sets so i think that that could be a little complicated though it can be really look over it it can be there definitely is there is a higher likelihood of some level of zoning out on whatever the movie or tv show is for sure send me your address after the show and i'm going to send you a puzzle okay well i can i can be okay with that i can get down with a puzzle i'm intrigued now okay sure I mean, if this if this all has been just one complicated ruse to get you get, to do puzzles, to either send me a puzzle or you know steal my identity, I, I welcome guess welcome to the puzzle show. My I'll name is what. Al Mira Puzzle, <laughs> and welcome to you got puzzled <laughs> this week. Jigsaw yeah. or crossword? Then this week, get a load <laughs> of the massive securitist route through which we're going to eventually get the puzzles. Um, and I mean, it'd just be fun. Let's just see how long it can take for the person to voluntarily get puzzled and, <laughs> and eventually we'll get there. I mean, sometimes it's five minutes and other times it's 14 hours, but we will get there. <laughs> Brandon, mm-hmm. do you have anything else to talk about? Probably, but not really. All right. I think we didn't. So here's the thing. We didn't really get on we what you didn't... wanted to we didn't do what the show is, yeah, but I yeah. think that we kind of did what the show is at the beginning when we talked about politicians being robots and stuff. I'd say when you had brought that up, I was like, okay, is this what we're trying to go into for the thing? No, this is just what I talk about, and that's why I have this show, is because I annoyingly talk about shit like that <laughs> all the time. 
I think it's interesting, and I, I like the thought, like stuff like that. At least as like thought experiments. Um, as much as I don't subscribe to conspiracy theories, just in general, just because I, I just think that once you open that door, I mean, what what's there even to believe in at that point? You know, like you got to trick your brain in some way. If as much as I like don't subscribe to so many of these fucked up constructs and everything, you you, you still have to survive. And part of that is to, I don't know, ignorantly convince yourself or do something to have some level of fucking investment, you know? That's why I think we romanticize, like, what it is to be a vampire when it's like, nothing matters then. Who gives a shit? I'm never going to die, so no, nothing matters one way or the other. That seems like hell to me. But, you know, if I can become a bat, I guess that's kind of cool. Yeah. Do you watch What We Do in the Shadows? I do, and just got renewed for another season, which I'm very yes, excited did. about. Did you notice that my Twitter name changed? I did, but I didn't connect it to anything. I just saw that it okay. wasn't. Have you seen all of the most recent What We Do in the Shadows? I'm not, so I'm missing the reference, clearly. It's okay. The uh, It's a great name. I, what might be the most recent episode, Laszlo, Mark Hamill is in it, and I'm not spoiling anything here when I say I, in I knew, the first I thought he was the in show, it. Mark Hamill shows up to... The, like their mansion and he says that laszlo owes him money and he's like we i could we could pay it or we could have a duel to the death he's like like hell i'll pay it so he's like they're gonna have a duel to the death and then instead of having a duel to the death laszlo turns into a bat and runs away and then the entire episode is about laszlo going to pennsylvania killing the owner of a bar assuming an identity and calling himself Jackie Daytona and saying that he's from Arizona. <laughs> and uh, it's just like a weird, like out fun. of left field episode in it, but it's so good. And Matt Barry is so good in it. Yeah. Hmm. Like, like a bizarre bottle episode, I guess it is. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I think that's like, also like weirdly wholesome because I think that Laszlo, a lot of the time in the show comes off as just being a bumbling idiot, but there's yes. so much of the show is like, if this one episode is like, oh, like he has the propensity to like really care about people and really care about things and have like and not act like a vampire all the time. Well, but he's feel- also just so funny. Matt Berry is so funny. He's like one of the funniest people making television. Yeah, no, I think he's incredible. I think uh, I mean, I watched I've been a fan of him for, for years, all the way back to Garth Morange and Snuffbox, which is so funny you know, with uh, him and Rich Fulcher, their sketch show in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Toast of London, I've heard, is great. I just need to watch it. I watched so. a little Toast of London. I was talking to my friend Tanner about this the other day, about Toast of London is a show that I want to watch more of, and it might be my next quarantine show. Mm-hmm. But my favorite character that Matt Berry plays is playing um, Renom in the IT crowd. And okay. the IT crowd is one of my favorite shows of all time. I know that the guy that made the IT crowd is an asshole and that sort of is a stain on it for me, but I do really love the IT crowd. It's just such a good show and it's so short and I've watched it probably more than I've watched any other TV show. I've seen the entire IT crowd through at least 10 times the entire series. And that's not saying a lot because I think there's only like 18 episodes of it total, but still like it's I've never watched really it. Really gets just, me. I know of it. Um, it's just, I, I have some blind spots where it's like, I'm not watched, for example, Bob's Burgers, but I've had so many people tell me I have to watch it and then I'll inevitably love it. Really? I've had a lot of people. 
a lot of friends tell me I need to watch it, and I just I, it just I just haven't, you know. Bob's Burgers has turned into a The Simpsons, where it was like a show that was very good for a little while, and then they were like, "Well, people will watch it no matter what it's about." And uh, okay, yeah, but so I mean, more power to Bob's Burgers for staying on the air and getting Kristen Schaal and H. John Benjamin a paycheck. No shit. I mean, and uh, Eugene Merman, you know, like it's. Oh my god, I love. He's my favorite stand-up comedian. I think. He's very, very funny. I love um, that the character that he plays in Bob's Burgers is just his like character that he plays in his stand-up comedy too. It's very, very good. Yeah, no, he's he's so funny and like he's like somebody I would describe as like funny in his bones, like just so innately, kind of like intrinsically funny. Um, so yeah, I, I would support him in any way. And there's a documentary about I want to say his uh, Eugene Merman Festival or whatever he does or did in New York. Yeah. And there's a documentary that follows that, I think, that I really want to see because I'm just a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. I like he did a Kickstarter that I think was involved with that festival. And the Kickstarter involved releasing an album. And the album is like a hundred and something tracks long. But like the last 80 tracks on the album are just like, it's, it's a, like a sound effect tape. It's very strange. That's fascinating. I, I think feel like he just fucks around, but in a way that isn't, also like wasting people's time or money it's trying things but also trying to you know give somebody value for their money like he used to do a thing where it was like a little i don't even want to say service because that's a strong word but where he would send people bags of miscellaneous things (laughs) for a fee like i'm gonna look that up i know that's a thing i just i'm not phrasing it he's Um, like got a little bit of there is like some Andy Kaufman-ness to his persona, which is like, he's not an asshole, but it's like, it's just so avant-garde and out of left field. And it is because he is so funny that he doesn't have to worry about like being traditionally funny. He just decides how to be funny in his own way and makes it work. And that's really, really great. Yeah, this is what it says right here. Um, It starts off, the initial thing is about how like, and this was in 2014, talking about like that they had, Basically, kind of like Loot Crate-esque boxes, I guess. Like, Goop did it, and that's their preface. But then they say, if, however, these trinkets feel a little impersonal and predictable, fear not. Comedians Eugene Merman and H. John Benjamin, stars of Boz Burgers, uh, have created a solution. Enter the Flotsam General Store. An entirely new concept in gener- in celebrity it's shopping. It's just such celebrity. a good name. Yeah, I know, it's perfect. Who would come up with that? You know, that's the funny thing is, oh. I, can gu- I can fucking guarantee you, they came up with a name, and then they just created something around that. Because that's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> like, an entirely new concept in celebrity shopping collaboration. Fans will recognize their voices. So that's, okay. Uh, yeah, for them, for them, success is about what is on the inside. Specifically, what is on the inside of their, quote, mystery sacks. Available in small, medium, and large. Their unknowable bags offer consumers and fans a chance to own an artisanal item that has been, quote, hand-conceived <laughs> using, quote, positive sourcing methods. Hand-conceived <laughs> is amazing. Uh, uh, but what does this all mean? And then they give an interview talking about it. About They took a moment recently from their busy schedules of performing, curating, shipping, and handling to give us an inside look into their new venture. Oh, that's great. I almost did one of those, but I got. I think I found out about it after... Basically, I think after they fulfilled their orders up to a certain point, we're just bored. Um, 
Uh, that's very funny. Uh, this is like, by the way, this is the opening salvo to the interview. It says, it's from New York Observer. It goes, you described the Flotsam General Store as a, quote, post-structural online shopping experience. Can you expand on this thought for the more layman consumer? John Benjamin, it may just be easier to read uh, Foucault's The Order of Things or Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific, uh, Scientific Revolutions and take a drink whenever you come across the word paradigm. And, <laughs> and Mormon says, we're sort of like the now defunct late 90s company Cosmo, where you could pick movies or various things on a website and they will deliver them within the hour. Except with us, you can only buy a small bag and it'll take two to three months for it to be delivered. I am <laughs> looking at the contents of one of these. Have you seen what comes in there? No, I haven't. Actually. Okay, so one 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 thing that comes in a bat in one of these is just um okay, it says it's got like an artisanal logo on it, and it's a plastic bag that says Brooklyn Leaves. Hand crackled, sun kissed Brooklyn, New York, and it's just a bag of leaves. Oh, and then there are uh, two different, um, like the pot. I don't know what they're called, like a pot grabber, the thing that you grab a pot out of the. I, hold, I mean, it's just for, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and there are two, and in just Cooper Black font, one says abortion only with parental and grandparental consent, and the other one says vaccines definitely cause autism. <laughs> and then there's just several pieces of paper that say you can't make a goat shit gold by feeding it champagne. God damn, that's amazing. Do you realize, by the way, how much money they can make off of that today? These things would make so much money. Oh my God. Okay, listen to this. One of the things that come with it, his and hers sexy dice game. Okay, but <laughs> here's like the stuff that it says on the, the, the dice. Point at his penis and shrug. Legislate her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. I yeah. You know what's funny is that I guess it's one of those things where I looked at it at the time around when they were doing it, so they didn't have like photos of it, and then I just moved on. And then I never thought until I never thought about them until now. Let alone to go back to see what could possibly have been in them. I would honestly love to have one of these. Like I, no, some I would of this stuff. Like I mean, I like it as a concept, and I like both of them. But I probably wouldn't buy it. But it, had I known there was going to be a show. pot holder that says "vaccines definitely cause autism," yeah. just to have that in your house, somebody go through your drawer like, "Hey, um, what is this in the kitchen?" I know. No, it's. But the the funny thing is that like, I I am. <laughs> it's so funny, and it also those. I could absolutely use those. So it serves a practical purpose and it's very funny to me. And I, I would just, it's just something I want now. I didn't know, you know, six years later, I want it now, but I wish I'd been able to do that at the time. One last thing I will bring up about Eugene Merman, and then we will wrap the show up. Sure. Have you listened to most of his stand-up comedy? Uh, a fair amount of it. Although it's, I feel like it's been a, a while i don't know maybe not one of my favorite bits that he does is when he talks about how he was given an assignment in his history class to do like a a story on a president or something and what he did was he came in dressed like a cowboy and took and lip synced a vinyl record of a bill cosby joke and then afterwards his teacher was like <laughs> You get an A plus. 
and you get to go to a special school. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. He, uh, he, you know, it, it's like a, I guess it was Apple or some shit. It's like their tagline, but he just, so it feels kind of tried to say, but it really, I, I, he just thinks differently. That guy. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, like in a way that's not evil and nefarious, but he just, you know, he's just a very thoughtful, just silly person. And I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan for sure. Just thinking about it. I think he's great. Hey, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to plug? Oh boy, I got a thing. Um, well, first of all, uh, follow me on Twitter at at Inquisitive Dick for the main account at S Disgusting. That's S D I S C A S T I N G for the show account. And what show do you ask? What show, may I ask? Oh, 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 okay. Uh, thank you for asking that. I happen to have that on the tip of my tongue. The uh, it's called Social Discasting. It's a podcast that is on every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's right, three a week. That seems like a lot. Well, there's but more. but but twenty minutes ish. Uh, at most, it's twenty five. At least you know eighteen. So it's uh, pretty easy to consume. But so it adds up to about on average, it's it's an hour for three a totality of an hour for three hours uh, for three episodes each week so not too much to ask i know people aren't commuting nowadays so they're less likely to consume it but it's only 20 minutes it's not bad and it's a breezy 20 minutes of that so each episode i talk to somebody new uh, about just their experiences through all this what they're doing how they're doing um kind of what they hope to do any tips they have for people and it can be as dark or as light as the conversation itself or just the mood of the person but for the most part it's pretty light uh we can talk about uh, a wide range of things there is no plan going into it outside of the very bare bones um podcast structure itself so you've it got is listen. a show that makes me furious because it has far less of a structure than this show mm-hmm. yet is somehow much much better than this show god damn oh. it is a good show it's my favorite podcast on right now thank you this whole podcast is a ruse to get people to listen to social discasting oh, it's man. good for mowing the lawn i have listened to it while mowing the lawn i have listened to it while driving around and sometimes i listen to it before i go to bed and so cool. thank you. if you're one of the very specific people who occupy the same place on twitter as brandon and i do it's a bunch of people whose voices i don't know what sound like because i've only read their tweets talking being like oh that's what valerie sounds like yeah that's what rich sounds like but Look, I, I didn't know either prior to talking to him. It's very good. You got yeah. some very good guests. I've heard them. You've told me coming up soon. People yeah. who it blows my mind have agreed to come on to your show. So yeah, I'm just the, the people that have been on are depending on just where you know them from, but you know, some some people of of, of note, I would say. But uh Jack Allison, Kate Raft, Joe Hartzler, uh Alana, the knife Johnston, Evan Susser, the Commissioner. Mo- Yes, Commissioner Doughboys, Evan Susser, um, Van Robichaux, both of which are writers on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, for example, and wrote the feature film Fist Fight. So yeah, I mean, it's it's got some really awesome, just great people, all different forms of conversation. Some, it, it really is like, it could be about anything. It, and I have truly no plan going into it, as you can probably figure out pretty quickly. But 
you know, it's, it is 20 minutes, but it's also, it's a fast 20 minutes. It's pretty easy to consume. Um, there's not a lot of, of, uh, of fat on these episodes at all. Pretty lean and mean. It is like, not a bummer. It makes not. you feel better about the fact that the world is ending. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Um, there's a, uh, there is a genuine, like both for me, certainly, but the person on, but I think some listeners who have told me quite a few actually have said that it really helps them. There's an absolute catharsis to be had. So it's just a reminder too that you're not alone and there's no perfect way to do this. There's no nailing this and it's okay to not be okay. That's like one of my big takeaways. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have off days and we're all doing the best we can. That's it. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on my show and I'm sure we'll have you back on again soon. And uh, God, I appreciate you working with me through our last small audio blip blop um but we'll talk again soon and this has been a ton of fun and it is revitalizing to my inside energies to get to chat with you dude awesome thank you uh so much for your time thank you for having me on like i yeah i really enjoyed the conversation so thank you high strangeness is an unfunny production our theme song is to wake up by crystal coast from the album three all our other sound design, also by Crystal Coast. If you have a question, you want to tell me some dumb shit, email highstrangecast at gmail.com. You can find me, Al Mirabella, on Twitter at at unfunny underscore period. Or follow the show at at highstrangecast. If you like the pod, consider telling a friend or leaving a review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, folks, stay safe and stay stranger.